Welcome to the Innovation and in Government Show, sponsored by Kerasoft. Each month, we'll talk with industry experts who enable innovation and make government more responsive and secure by advancing key technologies. Now, here's your host, Jason Miller. Welcome to the discussion. My guest today is Chris Townsend, the Area Vice President for Federal Sales at UiPath. Chris, welcome to the show. Great to be here, Jason. Thank you for having me. Good to see you again. Good to see you as well. I know it's been a while, and, and now that your new role at UiPath, we've got a lot to talk about. Let me set a little context for our discussion. In fiscal 2021 budget requests currently making its way through Congress, the Trump administration said there were about 30 initiatives using robotic process automation and other emerging technologies, and another 20 focused on digitizing agency processes. To see just how far RPA has come over the past year, just take a look at previous year's budget request, where the administration was almost just really introducing the concept of using software to take over the mundane, the repetitive tasks across all agencies. Today, there's hundreds of RPA implementations ranging from NASA to the General Services Administration to the IRS to the Patent and Trademark Office. In fact, GSA estimates that RPA could free up nearly $1 billion worth of productive time across the government. There's also now an RPA community of practice, an RPA playbook, internal controls guide, and a federal use case inventory. The community of practice and the CIO Council released all of these documents over the last six months or so. Now, despite the growth and potential of RPA, agencies still can't just jump into it using the new technology. There's process, technology, data, training considerations that every organization must consider. To understand all, how all these fit together and how agencies can, can, can continue on this path towards successfully using RPA, let me bring back my guest, Chris Townsend, the Area Vice President for Federal Sales at UiPath. Chris, I, I just gave a kind of a high level view of this unprecedented growth of RPA in the market, but really what's really driving it? Why is this one of those technologies that really caught on? Yeah, Jason, so great question. I, I've never seen anything like it in my career. I've been in federal for almost 20 years now, and you know, I, I spent 10 years at Cisco. I've, I've worked in cybersecurity and all obviously extremely relevant technologies and high growth technologies for, for a number of reasons, but I have never seen anything like the value proposition that robotic process automation has, especially in, in the federal space. We're seeing this not only in federal, but across all of our enterprise accounts globally as well. Uh, you know, the company is is really just three years old and, and uh, I think our, our latest uh, ARR number is about 470 million. So just unprecedented growth, one of the fastest growing enterprise software companies in history. Uh, the reason for that is just the tremendous efficiencies that we can bring. If you look at the productivity of a, of a worker going back to uh, the Industrial Revolution, and then through the IT age, we've seen this great up and to the right uh, increase in productivity. But that that it, while that increase continues, it's increasing at a diminishing rate, and that's because we've got all this great IT infrastructure that's providing information that we're tasking our employees to wade through to collect, aggregate, analyze, and then take action on, and we can automate a lot of that. And uh, it's just one of those inflection points where automation is going to be able to, like you said at, at your outset, automate a lot of that mundane, repetitive work that people are doing that require no or very little cognitive involvement to allow people to focus on what's really important. And, and one of the other reasons why it's so uh, catching on so quickly in government is if you look at the total number of government employees we've had in the federal space, uh, it's been stagnant since the 80s. We really haven't added any uh, federal employees to you know, total ranks of, of uh, the number of employees we haven't fed since, since uh, for 40 years. Um, so but the population's grown, the complexity of government's grown, the complexity of the programs are administering has grown. So a technology like this is really allowing our federal employees to do a lot more with less. And uh, that's just going to continue to increase. So, so you know, just to summarize, uh, tremendous value proposition, tremendous return on investment, and, and really helping our federal employees do a lot more with less and, and really uh, 
ramping up that productivity curve that's begun to flatten over the last decade. We've heard that phrase many times over the last, you know, 15, 20 years, do more with less. And I think RPA is one of those things that is actually happening. Chris, do you get a sense it's because it's a combination of technology, meaning, hey, the software has grown, has, has matured, it's the cloud, and it's also the realization that someone's job is, is not all about what, what they control, meaning the data and the people and the process they control and more about what they can get done. Is, is there a, this combination of things coming together? The, the perfect storm, if you will. Yeah, you're, you're spot on again, Jason. So <clears throat> you look at where we are in terms of, of digital modernization and moving from a lot of our legacy systems to modernized systems, to cloud, to eliminating a lot of our technical debt with on-prem infrastructure. But, but there's a lot of uh, human involvement that takes place in migrating data from these legacy systems into, into the new systems. We have a lot of federal employees that spend all day taking data from one system and loading it into another system because there's no ability to aggregate or, or get those two systems to interface with one another. RPA fills that gap where we can take data from a legacy platform and help migrate it to the new platform and do that in an automated way to free up that employee so they can focus on servicing the constituents of the agency, supporting the agency mission, doing work that requires more thought rather than just taking data from one system to the other. We can do that with, with automation and really accelerate this move to digital modernization. You know, we started out a lot and, and, you know, we've been in Fed now for about, you know, two years, 18 months, and we started out and doing a lot of back office automation. So finance, HR, procurements, IT services, and uh, quickly our customers realized that, hey, this, this, is, this is real, it's intuitive, it's easy to use, it's quick to build an automation, and it's quick to get a return on investment, a lot of efficiencies. The employees that are using it love it because nobody likes to do that repetitive mundane work. Now what's really exciting about the technology is the ability to make a mission impact. And, and there are a number of agencies where we're automating mission functions, we're tying it in with AI, we're tying it in with machine learning, and, uh, and, and that's really where, where it's getting exciting. We can solve some really big government problems. You know, first off, you know, the, the, the acceleration of the digital modernization effort uh, with this technology. I want to go down that path a little bit more on the, on the, on the mission side. Give me a sense of where you're seeing this falls into the mission, because that's what I've heard very similarly about, hey, it's good for financial management or it's good for acquisition. Really, the did you check the you know systems for award management, the SAM.gov database? Yes, the person's in. I can do that automatically. It takes seconds instead of minutes. Uh, same thing with certain financial transactions, moving data from an Excel spreadsheet to a financial system can be done in seconds instead of you know hours. But what's the what are you seeing the impact on the mission side? Well, you think about what many of our agencies are tasked with doing. There's just a lot of uh, document processing, claims analysis. There's just a lot of um, you know, paperwork that we have to do. So I'll give you a great example. Um, Department of Veterans Affairs, we've had, a, we've had a production pilot that's been going there for about a year and it's been very successful. Uh, the VA instituted the Mission Act about two years ago and the Mission Act allowed veterans to go outside of the VA network to receive care in the local community if they were a certain distance away from a VA medical center or they needed a special specialty care like a chiropractor that the VA didn't provide. The way that works is they go out and get a, you know, they get a referral from their uh, medical center, they go out to the community to get care, and then they bring a, a record back with them, whether that's a paper record that's handwritten or a digitized record that's in an email, uh, they bring that back with them that then needs to be entered into the VA electronic health record system. The program has been so successful and so popular in the VA that it really inundated all these medical centers with these inbound records that needed to be loaded back into Vista. Um, again, 
you know, really no cognitive work that needs to happen there. You just need to take a person, they're looking at a piece of paper or an email, they're taking the, the relevant data from that, they're loading it back into the VA electronic health record system. There was upwards of 10 people per VA medical center at 160 medical centers across the country that had to be repurposed just to process this inbound paperwork. And there was so much of it, they weren't able to keep up with it. So the backlog slowed the ability of the veterans to get referrals to get their, their community care. So it was slowing down the ability to provide that, that care and service to the veteran that the, 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 the program was, was promising. Uh, so we've been working closely with the VA and in automating a lot of that ingestion and processing of all that paperwork. And by doing that, we could take these 10 folks per medical center and get it back to their day job because a lot of them were repurposed. You know, they were focused on important work and servicing uh, the veterans and, and had to be repurposed to processing all this paperwork and keeping up with us. We were able to automate that, accelerate the process, work through the backlog, uh, better allow the VA to deliver care and service to the veteran. And the return on investment of that, of those you know, 1,600 people across the VA, uh, that had to process all this information, the return on investment is in the tens of millions of dollars in just a year's time. So that, you know, that was one example of where we're supporting the mission, but we have you know, example after example, whether it's SSA or CMS or, or, or DHS, where we're doing this, we've got some really cool stuff we're doing with the Department of Homeland Security, where you know, we were able to identify partnering with, with, uh, with CBP, you know, 1,100 fraudulent um, uh, you know, visa applications and, 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 and processing uh, in, in using the, um, in, in using automation to be able to pull data from these websites and analyze it, and bring it back into the, into the DHS system. You also opened the door earlier as part of the conversation about artificial intelligence, machine learning, and how does this fit in with this broader RPA initiative? Yeah. So, uh, you know, AI and ML have tremendous promise uh, across federal and across, you know, all of, all of our, uh, our IT systems and how we can apply this technology to, to bring a lot of efficiencies. Um, but, but RPA, coupling AI and ML with an RPA application really starts to uh, <clears throat> make it easy and consumable, right? Everyone's trying to figure out, hey, how do we use AI and ML to uh, prevent fraud, waste, and abuse, or to uh, do natural language processing to read a paper document. That's, you know, great example. So we have AI and ML al algorithms that are tied in with our platform through document understanding or third-party natural language recognition tools or chatbots to be able to take information from a constituent of one of the agencies, whether it's written or spoken, and allow the bot to go take action to improve the service delivery to the customer or process paperwork or you know all, all the other examples that we just talked about. So you know that's a just an easy example of where we can use AI and ML, and then you start to take it you know a step further and where we can ap apply it to look for um, known patterns for fraud, waste, and abuse to to begin to uh, protect against fraud, whether it's you know mail fraud or or, or Medicare fraud or, or fraudulent tax returns. But the, the ability to start to apply AI and ML uh, image recognition um, and, and tie that in with, with, with AI, uh, with uh, RPA is, you know, we're just starting to scratch the surface, but it's really exciting. And you get to say RPA, AI, ML, and, and acronym us to death here all together. Mm -hmm. So that, that's exciting too. Um, one of the other things that I just want to relate to this is a lot of people think of automated automation and using RPA as one piece and then they look at AI ML as a, 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 a totally separate piece and and a lot of I don't think a lot of agencies talk about this as those two go, coming together is that again part of the maturation that we're seeing that yeah maybe at first it was just how to automate data moving from point A to point B but as agencies started to 
move that data, they go, well, what if we applied these advanced technologies and wow, think of the return we could get then. Is that part of the process we've seen over the last year or two? It, it, yeah, absolutely. So you think about how a, an artificial intelligence machine learning model works. It's all about the data and making sure that you have the data that's clean and normalized so that when you feed it into the AI or ML model, you get, you get the, the output that you're looking for. RPA can reach into the data sets. It can correct any errors. It can normalize the data and process the data before it's ingested by the AI and ML model. So, you know, whether you're using it for claims adjudication in, in, in the VA or whether you're using it for, uh, you know, processing, um, you know, uh, patent applications at PTO, um, being able to reach into that data, normalize the data, correct errors in the data before it feeds into the AI ML model is critically important. And once it comes out of that AI ML model with whatever um, analysis that's happened there, whatever, we can then process and take action on it on the other side with, with, with RPA. And uh, recently we've built in a capability we call um, AI Fabric that allows you to natively plug in a third-party AI or ML model into our RPA workflow. So the, you know, the way RPA works is you create a workflow, something that a, that a human would do in, in various steps. And one of the steps may be to feed that data into an AI or ML model, whether it's image recognition, document process, processing, or some type of homegrown AI or ML model. And we have a lot of you know, partners in that space, whether it's, you know, data robot or NVIDIA or, uh, you know, using, using the native Google or Microsoft uh, AI capabilities, you can plug those in to our workflow natively now through our AI fabric integration. All right. The easier it can be, the more I think agencies will be uh, excited to use it. Uh, Chris, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can continue our conversation about the use of robotics process automation. You're listening to the discussion Innovation in Government, sponsored by Kerasoft on Federal News Network. Robotic process automation provides operational resiliency and acts as a mission multiplier when delivered by the UiPath hyper-automation platform. Proven under the pressure of COVID-19, agencies using UiPath tackled mission and back-office challenges head-on. Let UiPath's RPA practitioners demonstrate the value of RPA and collaborate with you to accelerate your intelligent automation journey today. Reboot work with UiPath. Learn more. Visit uipath.com government. Welcome back. You're listening to the discussion Innovation in Government, sponsored by Kerasoft on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Chris Townsend, the Area Vice President for Federal Sales at UiPath. Chris, before break, we're talking about how RPA has really grown over the last you know, 18 months or two years in the government, how agencies are using it. They're starting to move to the mission area. I imagine employees also are starting to embrace RPA. They're really starting to, as they see the value in it, they're saying, hey, this is not so scary. Yeah, absolutely, Jason. You know, initially, and we talk about this all the time, this is not a technology that's going to replace jobs, right? It, it, it's going to offload a lot of the mundane, boring tasks. It really ends up improving job satisfaction. People get excited about it. And it's also creating a whole new segment of, of employment. And uh, in, in, in we're seeing that within federal. So one of the things that uh, our CEO, the, the company did about a, a year and a half ago, was part of the Department of Labor Initiative, the pledge to the American workers to create new jobs. We've uh, committed to create 750,000 new jobs as a result of, of RPA and automation. And we're well down that road and, and reskilling and retraining. We're doing a lot of that within the federal government. In fact, USDA has a, a reskilling program. They're on their second round of, of classes now where they're taking folks out of other segments in the organization and retraining them on this technology. One of the really neat things about RPAs, it's very intuitive. You don't need to be a uh, IT developer to be able to build these automations. And in, in fact, 
some of the most effective folks at building these automations are the folks that are that are um, not IT that are actually administering the workflows. You know, I had to show that VA example before. Um, one of the, the folks that built that first automation to be able to process the uh, the inbound uh, patient records was a registered nurse. Right now, she she did have a uh, uh, some IT background and engineering background as well, but. Um, we've got folks at GSA, I think upwards of 40 people now that don't have IT backgrounds that are writing automations that are administering the workflows because those folks know the process that needs to be corrected and where RPA can be applied. Um, but yeah, we're really seeing this uh, as we get rolled out that, that the employees love the technology. It offloads a lot of the mundane repetitive work. It empowers them to automate segments of their, of their day-to-day job that uh, they just don't like doing. Uh, and, and you really look at it more as a digital assistant rather than um, a robot that's replacing an employee. I think we all could use a digital assistant sometimes. So I think uh, that's, that's a pretty good way to, to put it and, and keeps people understanding about what this really is versus what, it, you know, the robots are taking our job uh, analogy that we hear way too often. One of the things that comes up as part of this is the, this idea of citizen development. Do citizens play a role or can they play a role when it comes to agencies and RPA, is it just a user role? Is it, is it more than that? Yeah, it's the fastest growing segment of our business, Jason, is, is the whole idea of citizen development. And again, going kind of back to that digital assistant um, thinking, if, if you roll this out on every desktop in the organization and it just becomes a, a, a tool that you have available to you every day to be able to automate part of your work stream. Um, and then if you develop an automation that's got broad application across your organization, you send it up and have it published and refined and send out to everybody in the organization, the ROI becomes extremely compelling, I mean, very quickly. So if you, you, know, if you take a, a 50,000 employee government agency and save five minutes a day uh, for each employee, it's tens of millions of dollars a year in savings. Just five minutes a day, you automate one task that saves an employee five minutes a day. It, 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 in a 50,000 person agency, uh, you know, it's, it's an eight figure annual uh, productivity improvement. And, and you know, again, we're just scratching the surface on what we can do there, but we have a number of agencies and, and also, um, you know, large non-federal customers that are, that are moving all in with citizen development. Maybe describe a little bit more what you mean by citizen development. Is it the idea that you put out a piece of software, like an, R, an RPA piece of software, and then citizens can use it or they can add to it, or is it an open source type thing? Yeah, great question. So it's really all of the above. So essentially you have uh, the ability to write an automation for something that, that uh, you know, is a boring task uh, that, that you have to do every day. So I, you know, being in sales, I have to do expense reports, right? You can write an automation to, to automate your expense report processing. Um, any, any kind of mundane tasks that you have to do every day. I was talking to one of the agencies and they spent, they had employees that spent three hours a day just opening emails, taking information from an email and loading it into another system. They were able to automate that entire process um, and, and save three hours per employee per day at 50, 1,500 employees. I mean, you know, the return on investment becomes significant and it gives those employees three hours a day back to be able to better service, again, the constituents of the agency. Um, but the idea is that you know, the folks that can identify what needs to be automated are the folks that are, that are administering these processes every day. And if you have this digital assistant on your, on your machine and you identify, hey, I, you know, I'm going to automate this process. And then you say, well, hey, everybody in the organization may have this process. And you uh, develop a couple steps. You build an automation. It's very intuitive. It's easy to use. We just came out with an even more intuitive uh, way to do it called Studio X. Then you can take that automation that you've developed, send it up to your robotic operations center, your center of excellence. You can have your more advanced developers look at it, refine it, 
and then push it out to everybody in the organization. It just pops up on a tray in your desktop. So now let's say I've developed an automation to automate the processing of my expense reports, say myself, you know, half an hour a week, whatever it is. I can send that up, they refine it, they push it out to everybody in the organization, then everyone in the organization just clicks a play button and runs that automation and it's available. So uh, now I've just saved everybody in the organization in my same job role, that same 30 minutes a week. And that really begins to build on itself. I may need to talk to you after we're done here about that expense report uh, piece of software. Uh, that is definitely the bane of my existence. Uh, Chris, I want to also bring up this idea that something that Gartner has talked about, hyper-automation. Once you define what that is and then how that plays into this broader discussion about RPA. Yeah, so hyper-automation is, is taking automation and integrating it into everything that we do, right? So it's, it's tying it into all of your applications, all of your systems, and, and, and making uh, automation essentially ubiquitous across your IT environment. So what we're, what we're seeing is rapid adoption and acceleration of, of the RPA technology is really implementing it as a platform across your organization. Um, using the we, we have uh, some capabilities that we've added that allows you to identify processes that are uh, ripe for automation. So we have a process mining tool. We have a task mining tool that can look at the day-to-day -day tasks you do and where would automation fit to be able to you know, automate processes and save time. But then it's more than that, right? How do we tie into your digital modernization strategy? How do we tie into your, maybe, maybe you're moving from an on-prem help desk to service now and how to, how to uh, help you automate that process. But automation then starts to become ubiquitous into all of your IT and, and business process efforts. That's really what we're talking about when we talk about hyper-automation. The, the tools I think are key to this because a lot of agencies probably feel like, well, where do I start? How do I choose? Yeah, there's a lot of these. I, I have so many. I mean, I remember hearing GSA CFO Gerard Barak talk about this. And, and once they got started, they had 100 or 200 different processes that people brought forward to say, hey, let's do this. Does the tools also rank in order or prioritize or, hey, based on the estimates of the tool, you could save five hours from this, but 20 hours from that. Do, do you get any sense of, of how to kind of prioritize that? Yeah, that's one of the most exciting things uh, about this technology is every time I go and meet with one of our customers, they want to show me some new automation that they built for some other segment of their of their business, whether it's IT or mission. And and uh, and that's why, you know, we're just on the, the cusp of, of what this technology is going to look like because there's so much excitement about it. But we have rolled out some tools that allow you to measure the ROI of the automations that you built to help with prioritization. And, and frankly, Jason, that was one of the biggest challenges that I saw when I joined UiPath almost a year ago is there's the application of the technology is so broad um you know our, our sales team our partners our customers all needed to think about how to use this and prioritize where to start right so let's start with some automations that can have the largest impact to the organization in terms of cost avoidance or improved productivity um and and have the lowest barrier of complexity to to build those automations and we can roll them out quickly, right? So the, you look at those three elements to help you prioritize. Where can we have the biggest impact with the lowest complexity in the shortest period of time? Focus on those. And we've built a lot of use cases and, and solution documents around that to help guide our customers and partners on where to, de where to deploy these applications. But you're right, once we, once we get these automations up and running, we get a center of excellence set up where we have uh, you know, good uh, an operations approach and a governance model. Um, then it really starts to take off because other folks in the organization see where they can apply this and essentially our, our center of excellence has a process where people apply to say, hey, I wanna automate this process. Our, our um, uh, what we call our automation hub allows you to stack, stack rank that in terms of complexity to build and return on investment so you can prioritize where you focus. But 
Um, the biggest problem that we see with our customers now that have really gone all in with automation is um, keeping up with all the automation ideas that are coming from the organization, uh, which again, is just, it's just a really exciting place to be. And, and it's great to see because all these automations are driving efficiencies and improve morale and improve employee satisfaction. There's a concern when you talk about cloud, cloud computing, cloud, you know, scope creep, cloud creep, too much cloud, too many, too many different clouds that don't talk to each other. Is that also a concern with automation? Is that I'll automate something and then you'll automate something and then another part will automate something and really we're all doing the same thing over and over again. Is, does this tool and, and is there a way to make sure agencies don't kind of just have these silos of automation? Absolutely. So uh, one of the most important things you do when you decide to roll out automation at the enterprise level, the platform level, is that you have a center of excellence or robotic process automation center. And, and what that allows you to do is uh, it gives you the tools, the enterprise management capability. And, that's, and I think that's one of the great things that UiPath did early on was really build an enterprise management platform that can help scale and manage um, the automations across very, very large complex enterprises. So by doing that and you build uh, a sound operational approach and uh, a, a, a uh, automation operating model with, with strict governance around it, uh, and you roll this out as an enterprise platform, you prevent all of that you know, redundancy and, and building automations on top of automations or redundant automations in the organization. But it's, it's one of the most important things you do when you roll this out at enterprise scale is have that automation operating model defined, follow, follow the best practices. And again, it was great to see GSA put out their um, RPA best practices playbook, and then also have, have a, a robust governance model. We have a lot of partners that can help our customers build that uh, best practices governance approach. Chris, this has been a fascinating conversation. We're just about out of time. Before I let you go, what's the biggest barrier? What's the biggest pothole? What, what's, you know, what's the takeaway, if you will, even from our conversation today that agencies should keep in mind as they continue down this path? Again, we always say no agencies at zero, no agencies at 100. They're all somewhere on the spectrum. But there's always, is there a common mistake pothole that you're seeing? Yeah, the challenge that we're seeing in, in, in government, Jason, we're seeing this all the time, is this technology can solve mission problems that you don't necessarily think about uh, bringing an IT solution to right away. And you know, the challenge that we have in Fed is the way that the uh, IT budget or, or budget is appropriated across government is, um, if you have a mission problem you're trying to solve and you allocate those dollars to the mission side of the house, it's, it's not easy to move them over to IT if you're bringing an IT solution that, uh, to, to solve the problem. So what we're seeing is, a lot of our functional areas, whether it's, you know, the, the healthcare side of VA or, you know, the, the um, you know, CFO organization, IRS, or, or other um, non-IT segments that can really see some efficiencies and benefit of this technology, look to IT to deploy it, operate it, maintain it, but IT doesn't have it in their budget. So the, the biggest challenge right now is, is how to make sure that IT is uh, getting the funding they need to be able to support this technology and across all those functional areas um, uh, in the agencies. And, and, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a good problem to have, but it's, um, you know, it's also very frustrating for our customers because it, and it, and it puts our IT organizations in a tough spot too. If, if you've got, you know, four or five functional areas that are focused on the mission that see the value of the technology and they come back to IT and say, Hey, look, we want to roll this stuff out. And IT doesn't have the, the, the funding of the resources you know, they can't then serve their constituents and uh, their customer and, and it makes it challenging. So we're, we're working through that. I think that's more of a timing and maturation thing than, than anything else, but um, that's, that's the biggest problem we have today.
We're on the cusp of Congress finishing up the 2021 budget and agencies putting forward their 2022 budget requests. So hopefully all that's starting to get worked into those requests. Chris, unfortunately, we are out of time for today. This has just, again, been a fascinating conversation. So let me thank my guest, Chris Townsend, the Area Vice President for Federal Sales at UiPath. Chris, thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you for having me. Really enjoyed it, Jason. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to the discussion Innovation in Government, sponsored by Kerasoft on Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search innovation. Thank you for listening to the Innovation in Government show, sponsored by Kerasoft on Federal News Network. The entire discussion can be found on demand at federalnewsnetwork.com, keyword innovation.